Welcome to the Servants of Grace podcast hosted by Dave Jenkins. Our podcast exists to provide trustworthy expository messages through the Bible and faithful answers to your theology questions. Now for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. Well, welcome back to the Servants of Grace theology segment. My name is Dave and I'm the host for this show. And on today's episode, we're going to talk about something that is really important. And before we get into that, uh, one of our listeners writes in and they have a great question. What does it mean to test the spirits? Well, this is a vital question to ask because in 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, one of the things that Paul says that we're to do and believe about the Bible is we're to believe that it is useful and uh, useful for teaching and for correction and for our reproof. That is, that all Christians are to ground, be grounded in and have their beliefs shaped by the Word of God. And we need to ask the question as well, if lay people are to have their teaching grounded in and shaped by the Bible and they are to test all things and to hold fast to what is good, as First Thessalonians 5 says, how much more should this be the case for teachers and preachers of the word. In our own day, for example, televangelists are quick to call down the wrath of God upon those who would question the orthodoxy of their method and their practice and their doctrine. And yet in 1 John 4, what what John reminds us is that we are not to believe every prophet that or teacher or preacher that comes our way. And having told us that Uh, believers have the Spirit to give them assurance, John asserts that not everyone who claims to have the Spirit is in fact of God. Many different and false spirits have gone out into the world, and it is necessary that we test all claims by those who purport to speak the truth to us from the Word of God in 1 John 4.1. In fact, in 1 John 4.1, uh, for 1 John 4, John gives specific tests to determine the orthodoxy of teachers, that, which is the confession of the incarnation. And in fact, giving this test, John is not teaching that this confession uh, encapsulates all that defines orthodoxy. It's quite possible to believe in the incarnation and yet hold to unorthodox views of justification, such as found in the Roman Catholic Church and Eastern Orthodoxy. Now, John focuses on the incarnation because that is a specific teaching that was denied by his opponents that he is writing to warn about in the letter of First John. And so the incarnation is one essential of the faith taught in Scripture. And so when we talk about the incarnation being an essential We're not stretching the meaning here to say that we must test all the teaching that we receive from the preaching and the teaching of the word against all the essentials, uh, essential teaching of scripture. The specific teaching for which we must most strongly contend for, after all, may vary uh, given the various situation of our, that we're hearing about uh, when the word is preached or taught to us. And yet we must always confirm our teacher's instructions according to their faithfulness to all of what Scripture says. That is why in 1 Thessalonians 5.21, 
We are to test all things and to hold fast to what is good. In Acts 17.11, as I mentioned, the Bereans were commended for searching the scriptures. Uh, this is really important because what we see in 2 Corinthians 11.4, the apostle Paul is warning us that Satan often masquerades as an angel of light. Our enemy is a deceiver and he's going to sometimes hide in the church. He's going to use influential teachers subtly or overtly that deny the word of God. And it is therefore incumbent upon us to know theology and to study the scriptures so that we're going to be able to test the spirits. And so we must know the Bible. That's why, you know, we do these questions and answers for you because every week so that you'll know what the Bible says and you'll be able to answer. You'll have a trustworthy resource so that as you're engaging your world, you'll be able to know the answers to these questions. But specifically, as we address these topics, you'll be aware, hey, um, there's a reason why this doesn't uh, sit quite right with me or why I think this is wrong. Um, it's because we need to be, this is one reason why we need to be daily reading and studying and memorizing our Bibles and why we need to be sitting under the preached word of God from a qualified male pastor. And so this is really vital, vital because we need to test all things by the word of God. And so the way that we test the Spirit is to measure everything against God's written word. If any teaching goes against the word of God, then according to scripture, it isn't from God. That's the very reason why scripture is necessary. It gives us a supreme court in which to weigh every human claim to be speaking or acting with God's authority. But there's a second reason why scripture is necessary. Writing is a natural way to preserve God's words uh, for the present and even the future generations. The Ten Commandments are described as having been inscribed by the finger of God. And so when the stone tablets were smashed by Moses in a fit of anger at Israel's idolatry, God immediately took steps to replace them. Why? Because writing was the way God carefully protected his words so that in the future they would not be lost. They would not be changed. They would not be distorted. They would not be forgotten. And as he says to Moses in Exodus 17, verse 14, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered. And similarly, there's a wonderful moment in Psalm 102 where the psalmist says in Psalm 102, 18, let this be written for a future generation that a people not yet created may praise the Lord. And so if you're a follower of Jesus or you're soon to become one, that's why scripture is necessary that you would know of all the Lord has done and enjoy uh, praising him for it. Scripture is necessary for us, and there's no reason to be embarrassed or even suspicious of this fact. After all, words don't become less authoritative because they're written after they're spoken. In fact, when you think about it, the reverse is true. The most important statements about that human beings make, whether they be legally binding contracts or lyrical expressions of love, are most often written down or at least when intended to be powerful and lasting. And third, God ensured that his words were preserved in writing because they're a matter of life and death, eternal life and eternal death. At one point in Jesus' life, many of his disciples 
uh, turned uh, back and no longer followed Jesus. And looking back at the 12 disciples who were closest to him, he said, you do not want to leave too, do you? And Peter, so often the spokesperson of the group said in John 6, 68, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You see, Jesus has the words of eternal life. And now that's wonderful for those living in Palestine 2,000 years ago, those who could listen to him speaking in the flesh, but what about us today? How can we know that it hit what his words were? Is eternal life eternally lost to us because we were born too late to hear them? Well, thank God that is not the case. These words of eternal life have been preserved for us. And scripture is clear about this in John 20, 30-31, where we learn that Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but they are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's the point about the necessity of scripture. God has preserved his word so that we ourselves might be preserved. He wants us to have life as we meet the source of all life, Jesus in Jesus himself in scripture. Friends, scripture, as I've often said on this show, is the only way to know God. God has specifically revealed himself in the word. He's given us, uh, he's given us eyes to see and ears to hear through the new birth. And the way that we can train our those eyes and the ears and and our set our affections on Christ is only through the word of God. After all, the Holy Spirit takes the word that we read and study and meditate on and that we hear preached and he aims is aiming to drive it deeper into our lives so that uh, we might grow in his grace because his his spirit uses the word to bring conviction and encouragement and even courage to our hearts and to help us address our discouragement, our fear, our anxiety, and so much more. Well, this is why we need to test the spirits because we're living in a time, friends, where the rise of the new age and with its focus on the self and with the rise of the new apostolic reformation and so much more. We need to be in the word of God. We need to search the scriptures as the Bereans were commended in Acts 17, 11. We need to do as, as Paul teaches the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 5 to search, test all things and to hold fast to what is good. That means that we are to test, we are to analyze, we are to examine that which is in the word of God. We are to study it like a secret service agent does. What does a secret service agent do? They study the dollar so that when they are confronted in an investigation, what they do is they know the dollar so well that they can spot the fake. And that's the same with us. As we study the word of God, as we dig into it, as we mine its riches, as we meditate on it, as we memorize it, as we take it home more and more into our hearts and life, as we hear it preached, and as we meditate even on the preached word of God, you know what? God is going to help us to be able to spot the fakes and the frauds and the false teachers. So that's why we need to be in the word. And plus, by the way, First Peter 3.15 tells us, 
to always be ready to give a reason for the hope that we have and to do it with gentleness and respect. In fact, even in 2 Timothy 2, 24 and 25, Paul says that we're to correct opponents with gentleness. And this is critical because these things, notice in 2 Timothy 2, 24 and 25, the word gentleness is used. And in 1 Peter 3, 15, uh, we are always to give a reason for the hope we have, but to do it with gentleness and respect. So gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit. And what are the fruits of the Spirit? Those are things that God, is, the Holy Spirit, is producing in our lives as, as we're taking in the Word ourselves personally and as we're corporally hearing the Word preached on the Lord's Day. And so this is how we're going to be prepared to do what Jude 3 says, to contend earnestly for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. And this is not only important because the word is the, is the, is the means that God uses to shape our character so that as we speak, as we're being that witness for Christ in the public square or wherever he would have us, uh, we're being molded, we have been molded, we have been shaped, we're equipped in the local church to go out into the world to be a witness for Christ and to speak his word with uh, in a way that honors him, that represents him well, and that brings him glory, that is salt and light. Well, there's a lot to say about this, and I hope that this episode of the Servants of Grace Theology segment has been helpful for your life and godliness. Until next week, may the Lord richly bless you and keep you. Thank you for listening to the Servants of Grace podcast today. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe leave a rating on the app, and share our episode with your friends and family. If you'd like to, you can follow us on Instagram at Servants of Grace, on Twitter at Servants of Grace, or by searching Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this podcast on the front page of our website at servantsofgrace.org.